Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guests today are Brian Stewart and Sherry Hoffman from the AFM SAG-AFTRA Intellectual Property Rights Distribution Fund. First of all, everybody looks at all of the figures and all of the posts and articles, and they all say how much streaming is taking over the music world. And yes, while that's true, there are actually two huge markets where CDs are still selling and they're still selling well, believe it or not. Japan and Germany are still huge markets for CDs. And these are the number two and the number four markets in the world. How much so? Well, in Japan, 73% of sales are still CD sales. And in Germany, 52% are still CD sales. Now, in the United States, as a comparison, we're down to about 32% of the overall recorded music market has to do with physical sales, and not all of that has to do with CD sales. So why are certain parts of the world more into CDs than others? Well, it's interesting because in Germany, they just like CDs. They like having that physical product. Yes, they're also getting into streaming, and that's actually developing. But as a whole, the market really likes CDs. And the CD market in Germany was actually up by 3%, sold over 20 million CDs last quarter. Pretty amazing. In Japan, there's a couple other reasons. Again, it's a cultural reason. And also the fact that CDs are price fixed. They're $34 each. They're really expensive. And one of the reasons why CDs are actually doing so well is because Japanese fans really want to support the artists that they love. So they're willing to spend that kind of money because they really love the artists. It's not so much for the music, it's for a souvenir, but it's more than anything for support. Japan also has 6,000 music stores. So to put that into perspective, in the United States, there's only 1,200 music stores. And we have this island of Japan, which is far smaller than the United States, 6,000 music stores. Germany has 700, and Germany, again, is far smaller than the United States. Japan actually even has a big business in CD rentals for customers that can't afford the $34 each, which is about twice as much as any other country. There's a big market where you can just rent it for a period of time. So when you hear about CDs going away in the United States and in the UK and in most other countries, that in fact is true. But in two of the biggest, Japan and Germany, CDs are still going strong. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. The second edition of my social media promotion for musicians handbook is now available on Amazon, iBooks, Ingram, and a bookstore near you. It's the manual for marketing yourself, your band, and your music online and covers how to use virtually every important online platform for promotion. Also, you might want to check out my courses at bobbyosinskicourses.com. The next thing that I want to bring up is the fact that I read an article the other day about high-res audio and how all of the major record labels are really into it all of a sudden, and they're trying to push it. Well, been there, done that. I've lived myself through the SACD and DVD audio disc wars and saw what it was like whenever the major labels tried to push something like this, and they're pushing quality over convenience. 
what ends up happening is consumers basically say, eh, I'm not too interested. So this is coming back around again. One of the interesting things is they're all pushing this format called MQA by Meridian, which is master quality authenticated, which everyone agrees sounds great. It's a lossy codec, believe it or not, but everyone still says it sounds great. It's used by Tidal and it's used by Deezer, but here's the problem. It requires a license fee for the playback codec, just like DTS and Dolby. So what ends up happening is you have all these receiver companies and all these hardware companies that are basically saying, well, wait a second, why do we need to get on board with this and pay an extra fee when there's already some really good lossless codecs that are out there? For instance, like FLAC and Apple lossless. And then again, DTS has their own and so does Dolby, which chances are they're already paying for. So why do they need to get on board with MQA? Now, it sounds like I'm really against high-res audio, and I'm not. I actually think that high-res audio is going to be here pretty quickly, and I think that Apple's going to lead the way. Their MFIT program, which is mastered for iTunes, has been going on for almost five years now, and it's been collecting high-res audio at 9624 is what they prefer, although anything that's 24-bit they consider high-res. So they have a million files that are ready to go out in high-res. And I think as soon as they do that, then all of a sudden we're going to be on board with high-res audio because it will just be there. No one will even think about it. The audio bar will be raised higher. But I think when it comes to record labels trying to put out new product under the guise of high-resolution, I think that's a non-starter. We've seen it before, and I expect we'll see that again. My guests today are PR and Marketing Manager Brian Stewart and Chief Operating Officer Sherry Hoffman from the AFM SAG-AFTRA Intellectual Property Rights Distribution Fund. The fund distributes over $60 million in royalties annually to union and non-union musicians and background vocalists who have performed on songs that appear on satellite radio, subscription services, digital downloads, webcasting, and other digital formats. It's currently on the lookout for the many musicians and vocalists who have money owed to them but aren't aware of it. I spoke with Brian and Sherry via Skype from their office in Valley Village, California. Tell me about the Intellectual Property Rights Distribution Fund because it's something that I haven't been aware of. I knew that SoundExchange was collecting some money, but I didn't realize that the AFM was distributing it. Well, it's not really the AFM. We're a, a nonprofit organization that's we're, overseen. Yeah, we're a third-party administrator named in the Copyright Act, but our name's not in the actual act. It actually wasn't even in the 25th, 2015 amendment to the Copyright Act. But Sound Exchange, you know, they collect 100%, the, uh, 50% goes to the copyright owners. They, they keep 45% to distribute to, non, uh, to featured artists, and they pass through the 5%. For us to distribute to the non-featured musicians and vocalists. Yeah, we were formed in 98-99. We became operational in 2002 where we had $30,000 with a borrowed computer. Yep. And uh, and it started just with the Digital Copyrights Act because we were paying for, you know, CD copies and stuff. The little royalties you get if you buy it, you know, on, recorded on the CDs. Audio, the Audio Home Recording Act. Yeah, the Audio Home Recording Act. And uh, since the advent of the explosion of all types of internet radio, streaming, podcasts, digital downloads, and uh, other digital uh, media, we've exploded. And in fact, the last year we distributed over 60 million. Yeah. And we don't, we distribute to more uh, revenue streams than just digital broadcast. 
We also collect and distribute for private copy and audiovisual works to both featured and non-featured musicians and vocalists. Oh, okay. Does that include games? No, we don't do games. We don't do music videos, but uh, we do do uh, motion picture television productions um, collected from foreign territories and, and passed through to us. We don't collect in the U.S. for um, motion pictures and videos, but we're able to to take it from the foreign entities and, and and pass it forward to the musicians and vocalists in the U.S. That's interesting. Wow. Usually that's not the case. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Where if you're not connected directly with the co-publishing agreement or co-distribution agreement with the foreign entity, then it kind of stops there. So that's cool. Yeah, we have agreements right now with Germany and Spain. We have 20, well, we have a lot of agreements. On an international level, yeah. I just uh, successfully negotiated an agreement with Brazil to collect uh, audiovisual work, uh, money for audiovisual works uh, that are aired there that are have our artists on it. So, and we also have Japanese. Not, not for audiovisual, we just have Germany yeah. and Spain. Right, but in normal regular, we, we would do. Oh, we have 26 countries that we have right. uh, reciprocity with that we collect for digital broadcast and private copy. Right, right. Got it. Okay. Does this fund only distribute to AFM members then? No, no. not at all. Actually, probably 55 to 60% of our collections are for non union performers. And that's why we want to get the word out. They're really hard to find. A yeah. lot of people produce uh, on the, in the urban market. They produce out of their homes and private studios, and it's really hard to find. Um, originally, the fund was set up uh, by chance between the AFM and AFTRA, which is now SAG-AFTRA. But at that point in time, it was a little bit of collection for the Audio Home Recording Act, and it was mostly union. And it's morphed into something way different than what we ever experienced, starting with what uh, Brian said is one person and an executive director, and we have about seventy employees now. Yeah, seventy. In fact, we're <laughs> we're about two buildings down from the original Music Connection I worked at down there by Gelson's in Studio City. We actually own the building across the street, that five-story brick building, and um, you know it exploded from literally thirty thousand dollars in a computer to that. Um, the the European stuff and all that stuff is at this point, only union people that we pay. But the bulk of what we pay, what we received roughly 52 million last year from Sound Exchange, and that was union, non-union, whatever. I discovered when I got promoted to PR and marketing, I started looking at our unclaimed royalties list. A lot of the folks on there were obscure hip hop, pop, R&B. We can get a hold of union members. We have access to any, any of them. So for instance, in Nashville, all the background musicians and session players, they're fairly easy to get a hold of. But when you're talking about the, as you all know, the hip-hop, R&B, pop world, it's kind of a different world than the other ones. So I had to attack it a little bit differently. And I, I found the gentleman like you. I mean, when I looked at, uh, um, there's a lady named Stacy Barth, and she sang on Frank Ocean record. Of course, that was recorded at Cello, or East West, sorry. And uh, um I realized, oh, well, let me get a hold of uh, uh, Frank's manager. Candace, my wife, actually managed in East West, and she got a hold of the management company, put me through uh, to the attorney, to the accountant, and they still didn't believe us because kids now and, and artists, everybody's getting so scammed on their phone, getting fake phone calls. We have to ask them for, you know, photo ID and a social security number. And I realized, oh, well, if I know the people, great. I called Mark Needham. He found the biggest check that I have. It was over 200000 for an artist. Wow. One check. We played Edge and Dragons, and I know Mark, and I went, hold on a second, let me call Mark. Who is this guy with an AKA? And he got a hold of Alex the Kid, bam, call me back in 10 minutes, got a hold of the guy. 
that could take months. We were looking for this guy for two years. So I found that personal connections with producers and engineers who work on a lot of these tracks. I get a hold of a media, we can pay them. And it makes a huge difference in a lot of these folks' lives. You know how hard it is making money now. The girl who came in, who worked on Frank's record, she was like, okay, I'm going to, I said, come on in and say it. She was like, okay, I'm coming down. And when she came in, she goes, I want to talk to you when this is over. Because she probably thought it was like three, 500 bucks or something like that. Yeah. It was many zeros. <laughs> many, many zeros. And it changed her life. I mean, even though she had a publishing deal was working with Frank, she ran out of her money. It ain't like the old days where you come in with acoustic and they give you 250 grand in the 70s, you remember. It's like, man, you yeah. better have a done record and, you know, be ready to go. And so she, she was able to stay here, work, keep her deal going at, at the Universal UMG and work here because she still had to pay for her own then and allowed her to stay here for a couple of years. And she's still here. So you're saying that there's a big portion of the fund that's going unclaimed. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. Okay. So the fact of the matter is most people aren't aware of the fund to begin with, right? That, I'm just, just trying to follow along on this. So if they don't know about it, then they can't claim it. They're not even aware. Right. So we have to hunt down, you know, in any yeah. way can. And, you know, if you look at BMI or ASCAP or whoever, they've been around for 100 years. People talk about royalties. They know what RIA is. They know what publishing royalties are. Very few people are aware. Even some of these big stars, they don't know who Sound Exchange is. It's the fastest growing you know, it's revenue stream for artists and musicians and will be probably the biggest coming up here in the next 10 years. So I'm trying head over heels, contacting everybody, including you. That's why I contacted and, you to get the word out. We've advertised, uh, we advertised monthly in Music Connection. We've partnered with ASCAP. We've partnered with the Recording Academy to get the word out that we may have royalties for the, for the membership. Yeah. And uh, even ASCAP just came forward and just found, I think it was a $72,000 yeah. collection for a person that was an ASCAP member that was under like an alias. We couldn't find the person because a lot of people use aliases. Right. In fact, if anybody out there is listening, <laughs> we'll be listening to this. If you go to AFMSAGAFTRAFUND.org and go to the unclaimed royalties list, if you're a producer or engineer or artist, you start looking through there, you might have people that they know. And they're more than willing to give me a call here. My name is Brian Stewart, PR and Marketing. And I will look that up for them personally if they do. Yeah, it's big. This is not only for artists, this is for feature performers, right, as well? On, on the audiovisual side. In the audiovisual side, and oddly enough, here's an example. Uh, if you saw Music Connections magazine, there's a girl named B.B. Rexa on the cover right now. She's blowing up. She's exploding. Well, and we paid her quite a bit mm-hmm. of zeros because she also does background singing. Uh, there's a gentleman named Sean Garrett. Sean is arguably the biggest writer in hip-hop, harp, and R&B for everybody, Beyonce to everybody. And he also sings the background vocals on him, on most all of the tracks that he writes on. And uh, he he gets paid, you know, and he's like a superstar writer guy, but he'll get paid for that. Anybody that did... Uh, but all these people were originally in denial. They're like, oh, we're like a scam. They didn't know about us because part of the process of trying to lobby in Congress for all the different legislation on the table is just to get our name into the Copyright Act, which has been so difficult. It just says we're a third-party administrator for the unions. So they assume Sound Exchange is doing everything, but actually Sound Exchange is just giving us that 5% of the pie to distribute. And, uh, you know, we work with Sound Exchange. They try to get the word out, but uh, it's it's a slow process, and it's it's a really slow process. It's been over 20-something years, and, yeah. and we're still... We're finally getting some forward motion. We want to keep up the momentum because our job is to get it all distributed. You know, we're not right now. We're not 
we're not distinguishing, we're not extinguishing the claims, we're allowing people to go back and claim this money. So if we can get the word out by any means, we want to do so. Yeah. Wait, wait, what do you mean that you're not allowing them to go back and claim the money? No, we are. I said we're not extinguishing. Oh, you are. At some points, you know, as, as far back as the titles we're getting paid on and paying somebody that comes forward. So, you know, if it's not just if three years pass right now, we don't need we haven't updated any of our distribution guidelines that that would prohibit somebody from going for us going back and paying them further back in time. We still have the money. We haven't used it to offset admin costs or anything like that. We are definitely holding it open for people to come forward. And we're hardcore campaigning to get this money out. See, I thought that Sound Exchange they collected the money, but then I thought that that five percent they distributed it as well. So then you're the distribution arm for them. Yeah. <laughs> Except yes. we're two different five hundred one, you know, C sixes. So we're two different nonprofits. Yeah. But we're partners. I see. Partners in crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how did that happen then? So did Sound Exchange just not want to get into the business of finding people, I guess, and and, and look for a partner in that? Yeah, and there's actually another, there's one more collective in the United States that uh, that's another uh, collective management organization there, the AARC, the Alliance of Artists and Recording Companies. They collect for future, performer, for future performers' private copy revenues, and that was established by the RIAA years ago. So there's three of us, three companies, Sound Exchange, Featured Artists, Broadcast, Digital Rights Only, ARC, they do Featured Artists, Private Copy Only, and then the fund, we, that's how we shorten our names, it's so damn long. <laughs> and we yeah. do non-featured for um, private copy, digital broadcast, and both featured and non-featured for audiovisual works. Okay, so digital broadcast includes satellite. Yep. It includes radio-like, so uh, radio-like online, which means uh, Pandora and iHeartRadio, et cetera, right? In, non in non-interactive media. So Non-interactive. Non yeah. Exactly. And what else? Am I missing anything? There's a whole bunch of slew of little companies here and there that, that we work with. Sirius, so if you name Sirius and XM and yeah. all the stations. But that's where the most, the majority of our money comes from, from set, from satellite. At, uh, the radio. Really? Yeah. And not from Pandora? A, a portion does, yeah. But most of it is the satellite radio. The reason why I bring that up is... Just today, I looked at a study. It's by Edison Research. They've done it every year for the last 20 years. It's called uh, The Infinite Dial. And it looks at technology and media consumption in the United States. One of the things that really jumped out at me was when they looked at who was consuming what online, by a long shot, Pandora was in the lead, which you always think it's Spotify, but Pandora was 40% of, of Americans online are going to Pandora and only 18% were going to Spotify, which amazes me. So then you would think that, okay, if there's that many people that are ac actually accessing Pandora, then that would mean there'd be a lot more money coming from Pandora than I guess there is. Don't you think that the, it's the rates? I, I was uh, looking into yeah, that a little bit. That's today, different too. Yeah. Yeah. Just the rate that Pandora pays is so low, kind of like YouTube. You know, they pay such a low rate, you know, that in order to equal the amount of money that we get from satellite radio, I, I think we just get more of a percentage from satellite radio play. The different thing paid different percentages to us. And uh, some of the articles I've, I've read that I posted with you, you know, artists going, hey, you know, they were on Pandora, they get played a million times, you get 1500 bucks, and they pull their stuff. It's like they're not making 
you, there's no living to be made on it, but it is where people get stuff, you know, all the time. And it just seems the way it goes, you know, just like when Napster first came out, you know, and, uh, everybody went there. It didn't matter whether it was good or bad or sounded great or whatever, it was free. So they kind of go to where the cheapest way, place they can go to is always seen, you know, and that usually pick the cheapest. Well, this whole thing is a question of scale, though, because we all came from the era where a million of something was a lot. Yeah. You know, you had a million sales, it, it was huge because there was a lot of money coming in from it. But these days, a million is nothing. It, it doesn't even get you in the game. You know, 10 million, maybe people start to notice, and 50 million, you have a minor hit. So most artists can't get their arms around the scale of digital media for the most part. You must see that, right? Oh, yes. It's definitely, uh, it's gone way beyond whatever me being as an artist, you know, starting in the 70s and being signed and, you know, working with a lot of guys you work with, touring around the world thinking, and it remains sort of the same, you know, from kind of the 60s until the 90s, you know, we had kind of the same paradigm. You worked in it, I worked in it, you know, shifted a little bit here. And as soon as the ditch came out, man, that the paradigm just, you know, I remember uh, I was signed to Universal in 2002 to 2004. And I would drive by the building and I would see whole floors shut off going out of business at that time because Napster was just killing everybody. And uh, it killed, killed the deal that I had too. So, you know, you, I, I was like, wow, this is changing. I mean, I, like you, I, I'll never stop ever playing, making music. I love it to death and we'll do it forever. I did a record with Phil Everly. That was a high point in my life. Hit 128 on the Grammys this year. Didn't make a dime. <laughs> uh, but love doing it. I love doing it. I'll do it till I die. But I do love working here for that reason. When I have found musicians and I've had them come in here and I've changed their life, I know how that feels. We are just passionate uh, about finding these folks. Most folks here are musicians. They're active musicians. We have engineers here, producers. One of our uh, and they're not unions. Associate they're director yeah. of operations worked at Capital as an engineer. Steve Jenowick, all those guys for years knows them very well with Al Schmidt, all those guys. So we're, we're in tune with what's going on. And I was there too. You know, we are a great engineer here, but as you all know too, I watched in the late nineties and early two thousands, all the medium sized studios going out the way people producing hip hop R and B coming in, people doing stuff in the bedroom, bringing it in and all these creative guys, you know, like having to go get sales jobs at deer companies. And I saw it with music too. And, and, you know, now, you know, music's just different. I mean, I guess I've turned into my granddad as far as that goes, you know, but good music's good music. It's still out there. And I, you know, I may, whether I'm, you know, removed personally from what's going on now or not, I'm, you know, it's hard work. You know that. It's the hardest, some of the hardest yeah. work trying to make it as a musician or an engineer producer. I mean, your job being an engineer producer, that now, that now is as hard to make it in as a musician, in my opinion. So we've all had to, change on this curve but i'm thankful that i've ended up here because this is ground zero for the fastest growing revenue streams for everybody we're we're fighting for producers mm -hmm. engineers we show up at the music first coalition <laughs> grammy day uh, dis my district day we're there fighting with everybody for everybody's rights you know if that music first went through it would bring a lot more revenue with the music business that's for sure but that's the cool thing because you're collecting money for producers and engineers as well not uh, just for artists correct. Uh, or in songwriters. It's in certain cases. We yeah. pay if they, if they, if they played on their primary, if their primary role is as a non-featured musician, we will go ahead and compensate them. Yep. If they don't have a letter of direction from sound exchange. Yep. 
So, so because producers are supposed to get paid. Yeah, that's producers from sound exchange with, with with a letter of direction. They're not necessary. Right. That's that's something they negotiate with the label and the artist. Right, but most artists I've been uh, talking um, never did know, that deal. So, with some very big producers who you know, and I probably shouldn't mention don't mention TV, them. <laughs> but, but they cannot get letters of direction from the biggest artists that they worked with for twenty years, and with huge hits. You know, we're talking about fifty, hundred million sales, and at that point, you know, if they can't get a letter of direction. And I'm like, well, yeah, let's bring in the titles that you worked on and played on. And let's go through that and see if we can, um, you know, pay you as a performer. And, um, you know, eight, nine times out of ten, we can. How would that work retroactively then if the money wasn't collected necessarily for that to happen? So how would you do that? You know what I'm saying? We have a playlist of titles that we pay out on. So if yeah. somebody comes forward and says, wait a second, I was on that thing. I can prove I was on that, that title. Well, we can go retroactive on a title basis of what we've already collected for. Not, okay. you're saying, not money that's not been collected, but money what we're, that's sitting here that we're holding for, for people that Got we can't identify 100%. Yeah, we'll have a place in there yeah. hold that money. Like we, 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 we often, we, we have a title, we research the title, and it says, you know, John Doe Unknown Guitarist. So sometimes we have to reach out to somebody else in the band and try to track them down or a manager or a producer right. or an engineer who worked on that record. So we're going to all sources. That's why I was meeting with Maureen today because we do go to the peony wing a lot to say, does does somebody know who played who played this role on this track? And and then we find them, and and then it's then it's a convincing job. We do exist. We are the five percent. Right. So, and it's a big five percent. It's growing. It's not huge, but but a lot of it's due to our foreign collections. The splits in uh, Europe are much better for the non-featured artists than they are in the United States. Here, here it's a 90-10 split, so you take the copyright holders aside, but between featured and non-featured, it's 90-10. Most of the world, it's 40-60 or 50-50 splits. So it's no advantage. kidding. Yes. Wow. Much fair and much more reasonable. <laughs> so that's why we are so gung-ho on lobbying for fair play, fair play, fair play, fair pay, because that opens up the floodgates for true reciprocity. We don't get the collections from our our sister uh, society, PPL in London, because we don't have a terrestrial right here in the United States. You need to shut your finger off. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. We, we don't have that terrestrial right. Other, we're the only society, we're the only country besides, from what I know, uh, Guam, Guam is part of the U.S. territory, North Korea, Iraq, Iran, that don't have a terrestrial, like an AFM, AM, AM FM right, or right to pay artists. Yeah. They have a writing, writers get paid, BMI, yeah. ASCAP, CSEC, they get paid, but the musicians themselves don't get paid. Yeah, it's crazy that if you think about that, it's like, I, I want to do an ad campaign that says, what does the United States, Iran, and North Korea have in common? You know, <laughs> they don't yeah. pay artists for playing on the radio. That is just yeah. ludicrous. It's ludicrous. You know, and they keep getting, that. what costs radio stations really? I mean, you know. Indie stations, maybe 500 bucks a year. I mean, who doesn't have that? Come on. You know, it's not this huge, like, we're, you're going to go out of business. It's just like YouTube. You know, they're just hemming around. Going, oh, no, no, no. We're much more valuable as promo. Well, when you play 10 million times and you don't get a dime, how valuable is that? You know, that's free. You just gave all your stuff away for free. And YouTube, we know they skew the numbers. You, I have friends all the time who will get way up over 10,000, and then they come in the next day, and it's like 1,500. Like YouTube just went, you can, you know, clip their number. Yeah. They wouldn't pay them. 
And, um, you know, it's uh, hopefully now I know you've written all the head of YouTube is, you know, come out and, you know, finally kind of saying, yeah, we'll do something. You know, they're going to nudge it out a little bit, but they're always like, you know, it's like they're doing us a favor. You know, like you're not the, doing us a favor, you're not paying us, and you're playing our music. Well, the big problem is there's a bad split there. So you know, the fifty-five forty-five split is not as good as, as you have just in any other scenario. So okay. that's the big thing. That's our Congress, and that was our Congress too, and it's 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 not going to be reversed. I don't ever see that foresee that happening, which is why the fair play, fair pay will open up the floodgate, not just that little bit of money that, or maybe it's significant that comes in if that act is passed on the AFM, FM stations to get a royalty. But the bigger picture is for this fund, the international, the exchange of money between societies, that's what's going to grow and take the $60 million fund to a $200 million level. When do you think that'll happen? Is, is that like imminent? There's a yes and a no. I, I, we are in a Trump era. We're in the alternative universe. <laughs> now. But, uh, I, I see strides made. I see the bipartisan support of this, and more and more Republicans are supporting this bill. Um, we are we're having um, Grammys in my district all over the uh, United States, like 2,000 representatives uh, of, of the Recording Academy are meeting with their local congressmen. I'm meeting again with Brad Sherman in October to discuss this and to bring it back on the table. I know the AMP Act is already on the table. But you know how the agendas go. Right now, we got floods to deal with, and and a, and a possible crazy man in, in in North Korea to deal with. But I think in the next couple of years, we'll see a very a very aggressive forward motion in this act. Now, the interesting thing is when Trump first got elected, I was on a panel at some conference. I don't remember what it was, but there were a couple of music industry lobbyists also on the panel, and we got to talking afterwards, and they were quite optimistic that something would happen in terms of copyright reform and, and just everything that musicians and artists and songwriters wanted, they felt very strongly that that would happen within this administration. I don't know how strongly they feel now, a few months down the line, but at that point they were very optimistic. So we can only keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. I'm hoping as well. It's, you know, we're in year one. I'm hoping before his term ends, because I only think he's going to serve one term, is to get this through. Yeah, and I think that I was reading about that yesterday in, in one of the articles I posted, and that in the hopes were that even though they were bagging on Trump, because the reason he would do it is because he ha- holds a lot of copyrights himself, uh, and not necessarily music, but he's in, he owns a lot of copyrights. I was reading that yesterday, and so that that's really? where uh, not music copyrights, but no, he's an, as an actor. Yeah. On the oh, that's right. On the <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Oh, I mean, yeah. Never thought of that. You're right. Yeah, so that's He's a it. member. He's right. actually in the union. Yeah, so <laughs> so that's where we're, I think people were looking at it. You know. Other than that, it's like anybody's guess. I mean, what comes out of this gentleman's mouth sometimes is nothing short than shocking. But, you know, hey, if he can pass that through, I will. I would tip my hat to him at that point. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Okay, before we leave here, so tell me what people should know in order to check to see if there's maybe some royalties, some unclaimed royalties in their name. What do they have to do? Visit www.afmsagafterfund.org or call us at 818-255-7980 and we can check. Um, Obviously, the website's the easiest way to do it. You can check 
on the unclaimed list to see if you see a recognizable name. You can check on the title list to see, and it'll show you if you click on a title, it's public. It'll show you who's, who's on that title. So if you're omitted from the title or you know somebody that might be on that title and it's all, they're also on the unclaimed list because we don't have enough information to pay them, that's, a, you know, we, it's all public and it's up there and we have the titles up there from the inception of the fund. Okay, if somebody played on something but is not credited, so what has to happen for them to get paid? Is it a long process? Yeah, it depends. You know, what we would need for them to prove it would, if there's no trail at all, in other words, if they had no credits on a record, um, anything of that nature, we would have to get an affidavit from the producer on the record or the artist. Or a payroll stub or something, some kind of, right. you know, remuneration that they, the proof, proof they, they played they on it. On. They might have um, a session report of some sort, right. even if it's a non-union report or... Or um, we've even taken, um, on the audiovisual side, we've taken uh, the composer's word for it and yeah. affidavit from a composer saying, yeah, I hired this guy, you know, he's on the session. So, and there's a, ver- a, ver- a variety of ways. And then the, uh, there's a lot of people's names. So we just have to prove that they are that John Doe. Is that, you know, there's a lot of people that, we have a lot of John Smiths, by the way, on yeah. our unclaimed yeah. list. From yeah. John Smith. Yeah, <laughs> They're like, I'm that guy. Yeah. So that can be, I mean, it's, it's, it's rarely, if ever, happened here, but we have to do strict due diligence when it comes to names like that. Because sometimes it'd be like, "Wow, we got twenty of these guys," you know, triple check, and you know, sometimes you'll have three of them as guitar players, and so you got to go back and triple check and see. Wait a second, that guy's sixty-eight. He didn't play on this hip-hop guy's track. Okay, hold on a second, let me. Yeah. You know, you know, research it pretty deep. Uh, we we do. We find it. We we have people on our own claim list that you'll recognize the names. Yeah, I mean, they're there. They're just. We have Essa Pekka on there, but his management company refuses to give us the information to pay him. And they, I guess they think it's bookless, so they don't care so much as, you know, but we've reached out to, there, there's some very popular people on those lists. So it's a matter of, we have to have, you know, certain information uh, because it's 1099. We have to have a social, we have to have a valid address, you know, things like that yeah. in order to pay a participant. And we have paid some very large superstars as being background musicians as long as they play on somebody's record. And it's like Rod Stewart, and he's got David Bowie on there, but it doesn't say featuring David Bowie. David Bowie's singing backgrounds on the thing, you know? So, and he's in our yeah. system. You know, even though he's not here anymore, his, his, his estate will get it. Yeah, his estate would get it. Um, as long as you're not a featured artist, even if you're a superstar and you're just helping out a buddy, you're going to get paid from us. Yeah, and we pay the beneficiaries, and we pay the beneficiaries of beneficiaries, and there's right. no, based on, you know, the rules of the state, but yeah. laws of yeah. testing, yeah. but yeah. Well, this is cool. I'm glad we got a chance to do this and, and clear this up. And I hope as a result, there's a number of people that come forward and get their money. That's our hope. Yeah, me That's too. our hope. To find out more about the AFM SAG-AFTRA Intellectual Property Rights Distribution Fund, go to afmsagaftrafund.com. That's all one word, AFM SAG-AFTRA Fund. AFTRA is A-F-T-R-A, SAG is S-A-G, AFM sag after fund one word dot com click on the unclaimed royalties tab to see if you're owed money thanks for listening and being in my inner circle remember if you have any questions or comments you can send them to questions at bobby listen to other episodes of bobby osinski's inner circle go to bobby osinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobby where you can find it on itunes stitcher mixcloud and google play at bobbyosinski.com and bobbyowinnercircle.com. You'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. <laughs>